You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. This episode of Animal Party is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download at audiblepodcast.com forward slash Animal Party. Over 75,000 titles to choose from for your iPod or MP3 player. Welcome to the Animal Party. We've got a great show for you today. In fact, we've got a blind show for you today. We're going to be turning out the lights and putting blindfolds on everybody and letting some pretty spectacular dogs guide us around the party today because we're going to be talking to Barry Dunner, who's a fundraiser and works for the BC Guide Dogs for the Blind. And so we'll be talking to him, but we're also going to be talking to him about something different, something new. They are working on helping kids with autism with these seeing eye dogs. So we're going to talk about that and find out just how that works and which dogs go where and how they make those decisions and what it's like to blindfold yourself and have one of these dogs walk you around and how the whole thing works. So that's what we'll be doing at the party today. But before I get to that, I wanted to read you a paragraph from a book I was reading because I just thought it was so funny. And it's called A Year in Merde. Merde means poo, by the way. So A Year in Merde by Stephen Clark, and it's about his trip to France. And there's one paragraph in here (laughs) that is so, so funny and so appropriate for a dog show. So here we go. Instead of my joke of the day, we're going to do this today. I'm reading from page 41, and here we are. This, you see, was my disease, an uncanny ability on the part of my feet to home in on the nearest dog merde. The more I tried to explore Paris, the more I messed up my shoes. According to an article I found on the Internet, I wasn't alone. Every year, 650 Parisians end up in the hospital after somersaulting over a sample of the 15 tons of poop dumped on the city streets by its 200,000 dogs. 200,000, I thought. That's more than Genghis Khan's army. Okay, so if you want to pick up this book, you can find it in used bookstores most likely. It's a terrific read. It's really funny. It was published in 2005, A Year in Merde by Stephen Clark. And there's all through the book, he talks about dogs and the dog poop situation in Paris and in France. And if you've ever been to France, you'll notice there's dogs everywhere. Dogs in restaurants, stores, bars. They're everywhere. The people who own the bars and the stores and the restaurants have their own dogs there. There's dogs in truckers and taxis and really dogs everywhere. So apparently... There's dog poop everywhere, too. Where there are dogs, there is dog poop. All right, so we're going to go hear a word from our sponsors, and then I want you to come back to the party. I'm just topping up all the water bowls because we're going to be visited by a whole bunch of retrievers, and we're going to learn about guide dogs for the blind. Come back to the party. Don't leave this party before it's over because the best is yet to come. Only losers leave the party early anyway. Party on. Back in a few. Hey, boy, how you doing? What am I doing? I'm creating your own life book. It's a website that's just for you. Remember that picture I took of you pulling off Lisa's bathing suit? (laughs) Yeah, I know, me too. I'm putting that awesome picture on your life book page. We'll see what comments we get. And that great video we took of you standing on the table with your head inside the turkey? That's definitely going on there. No, it's easy. It only took me two minutes to set up your page. I chose a great theme, and I can connect with millions of other pet parents. I can also create a memorial life book. 
No, not for Grandma, but we can make one for Fluffy, remember her? And we can even put links to our favorite pet charity. And friends can make donations. People can create their own life book for their pets by going to PetLifeRadio.LivingYearsPets.com or they can sign up on the Pet Life Radio homepage. <coughs> Where's Lisa? She's outside by the pool. Hey, come back here. <coughs> create your own life book for your pet. PetLifeRadio.LivingYearsPets.com from Paris, New York, and around the globe, get ready for the hip, the trendy, the uber cool where pets rule. If you've got a passion for pet fashion and a flair for animal wear, this is the ultimate place to take a peek at what's chic in the world of designer pet fashion and cool new pet products. The Pet Set, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. You're you're inside the VIP room. With the hottest party in town. Back to the party. Let's go. Hello. Welcome back to Animal Party. We're here with Barry Dunner, Director of Development and Communications for BC Guide Dog Services. And welcome to the party, Barry. Well, thank you so much, Deb. It's uh, great to be here. Thanks for bringing all these beautiful seeing eye dogs with you. What kind of dogs are these? Well, these are uh, golden retrievers and uh, labs and uh, crosses between the two. They're gorgeous. They're really sweet. So what's it like working at the BC Guide Dogs? Isn't it a nice job? Well, it's a, it's a really fantastic job, uh, Deb, because um, most people want to do good, and um, I want to do good in my life, and I feel that uh, this is an agency that's, what they do is really compelling, and um, uh, the work, not necessarily the work that I do, but the work that the agency does uh, uh, is so compelling because when we match a dog with a person who's either visually impaired or blind or with a family uh, with a child with autism, I feel like we're changing a life, and uh, obviously for the better. And so that's really uh, gives me a reason to get up and get to the office every day. Well, giving dogs to kids with autism, this is a new thing, right? I mean, a couple of years ago, I remember them talking about it and thinking about it and that maybe if a dog wasn't quite serious enough or didn't quite make it in the blind, you know, working with the blind, that it might be ideal for working with kids with autism. So is that what happened? Is that what they do? Well, that's part of what happens because there is a failure rate in guide dogs of up to 40%. And so some of the thinking might have been originally that, well, if a dog fails as a guide dog, it can still make a really good service dog uh, and a great autism support dog. And that has come true. And now uh, we're actually focusing part of our efforts on training specifically for autism and not just failed dogs that, were, uh, that now we move them over. Okay. Well, when we say failed dogs, I want to just let people know that when a dog fails out of a program like corrections or police or seeing eye dogs, that's not a failure dog. This is a terrific dog. This is a brilliant, hardworking, exceptional dog, a dog that was chosen because he was well and above all his peers. He just might not be quite serious enough, or there might be some reason, maybe not big enough, maybe too small, too big. There might be some reason why the dog isn't suited for the work, but it's still a great dog. So if you ever get a chance to adopt a dog like that, that's a good dog to adopt. Already mostly trained, really excellent, excellent personality, genetics, 
disposition. So I just don't want to give them the label of failures because really they, they're trying for something that's really, it's only a few dogs out of the many, many, many we know that can do this kind of work. And I know it's a hard job. Can you help us understand better why this isn't just come, sit, stay, heal like most of our dogs do? Definitely. Uh, so you're, you're definitely right about the failed dogs are excellent dogs. So, and when we talk about a dog that fails, it's often because uh, they might not be as motivated to do the hard work that other dogs are doing. Uh, it's really interesting when you watch dogs working. Some dogs, you know, they all want to play, run around, and have fun. But when they see the harness and they know the harness is about to come on, their personality changes. And they want to be in the harness. And they can't wait to be working because that's what they're bred to do. Other dogs, right. not so much. And uh, so some dogs, they're a little bit slower or some dogs, you know, their huge appetite for food and that instinct to <laughs> want to eat. That's something that that is uh, that they'll fail because of that reason. So there's so many reasons why they quote unquote fail, uh, which have nothing to do with their wonderful temperament or their or their personality. Under certain very strict guidelines they they don't um, they don't make it as a guide dog. But they're they're fantastic dogs. So in dogs, in one case, I knew of one that actually loved children too much. It was children that would distract right. it from its work. Yeah. So it's really not a bad dog. Yeah. If you're a family yeah. with a lot of kids, yeah. this is a yeah. perfect pet. Yeah. 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 So I get your point but, about but that. Reason, yes, mm-hmm. but the, the the training for these dogs is really it starts at about seven or eight weeks, and okay. uh, it's a full two year program where they go from their uh, the home of their mother to a puppy raising family. Uh, they spend up to 18 months there where uh, they go everywhere that the puppy raiser goes, uh, in the car, to the mall, to restaurants, hiking. So everywhere. those are the dogs people see around. They're usually young, That's immature right. dogs, and they're wearing a little blanket-type right. thing. Right. looks like a jacket, right. and they get to go everywhere. They're in the airport. Right. They're in the doctor's right. office. They're everywhere because right. they're learning yeah. how to behave in public. Exactly. So During that so, process, they're also getting training every two weeks. So it's not just Uh-oh. like they're running around everywhere. They are constantly in the process of, of getting training and getting adjustments. And um, if they have certain personality issues or other issues, uh, the, the trainers and the staff work with them to make sure that they are following along in the program. So, that's so if someone listening thing. wants to get involved and they think they might be a good puppy raiser, what, what kind of a person would be good at that? Someone who has time. And uh, someone who uh, loves dogs and someone who is prepared to take the dog with them virtually everywhere they go. Everywhere they go, we'll come to lessons every couple of weeks. And probably someone who's had dogs before, I would think. You're probably looking for experienced dog owners, aren't you? More so than new new people? Not necessarily. It it helps. Oh, new people too. We already have that experience. But we have had uh, people who've raised puppies uh, without having any experience before. Wow, so that's an exciting opportunity for yeah. someone. And okay. one of the benefits is that uh, all the food and the vet bills and any kind of medical issues that may arise are paid for by BC Guide Dogs. Oh, that's nice. But at the end of the two years, you have to give up the dog, right? And that's that right. must be really tough on people. It is tough on people. And uh, a lot of the people, they, they uh, ante up again and, and uh, start from all over again from the beginning. So that's one way that they uh, get over the loss of one dog is by 
taking on another dog. So you talked a little bit about the, that the training is different and um, that's much more intense than what normally is done. What kind of um, qualifications do the instructors need to have to train these dogs? Well, the instructors have had a three- to four-year intensive training and on-site training uh, from the uh, International Guide Dog Federation, and they have to meet their standards and pass their exams. Uh, I'm right now looking at two books that are about three inches thick, and they have to uh, pass exams based on the training uh, books and then on-the-job training as well, which is uh, fairly heavily supervised. So it's a very rigorous training. It's not like teaching a dog how to sit and to stay and to shake a paw. It's a much more intensive kind of learning in which so many different factors uh, come into play. Understanding dogs, understanding people. Because uh, mm-hmm, the- there's that whole part of adjusting the dog to the person that's so different. Yeah, yeah. like we need, they need to know canine behavior and, and care and safety. Um, then they need to uh, have very good communication skills and be good at instructing people and dogs. They have to be able to assess and do problem solving. Uh, so many different uh, areas that, that they're involved in, not just training the dog. Well, Barry, it's been great having you. We're just going to go to a commercial break and we'll be right back. When we come back, everyone, I'm going to ask Barry about what it's like when you put the blindfold on and you walk through knowing... If the dog doesn't help you, you're going to fall down. So we're going to come back after the break here. Just listen to our sponsors, and we'll be back back to the party with Barry Dunner from BC Guide Dogs. Don't go anywhere, because the best is yet to come. Stick around. Hey, love to read, but just never seem to have enough time to sit in one place long enough? For all of us on-the-go people, Audible has the answer. Best-selling audiobooks for your iPod or MP3 player. For Pet Life Radio listeners, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 14-day trial to give you a chance to check out their service. Choose from hundreds of today's bestsellers, including awesome pet books, such as Bad Dogs Have More Fun by Marley and Me author John Grogan, Love That Cat by Ingrid Newkirk, It's Okay to Miss the Bed on the First Jump, and Other Life Lessons I Learned from Dogs by Seinfeld's John O'Hurley, and many, many more. To download your free audiobook today, go to audiblepodcast.com forward slash animal party. Again, that's audiblepodcast.com forward slash animal party for your free audiobook. Hi, this is Marcy Davis and my service dog, Whistle, and we're your hosts of Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. Working Like Dogs is the show where you can learn everything you ever wanted to know about working animals or working dogs. Whether you're a member of a working dog team or you've just seen a working dog or animal out at the mall or the grocery store and you're curious about how these amazing animals work with their human partners, then Working Like Dogs is the show for you. Join us for the inside scoop at Working Like Dogs on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. You're inside the VIP room. With the hottest party in town. Back to the party. Let's go. Hello. 
Welcome back to Animal Party with Deborah Wolf. And we've got Barry Dunner from BC Guide Dogs on the line. He's here at the party and he's brought his dogs with him. And he's about to tell us, when they train these dogs, one of the things they do to show people how well it works is they'll get someone who has sight, someone who can see, to put a blindfold on and then hold the harness. And Barry, you've done this, haven't you? Yes, I have. Okay, did you fall down? No, I didn't fall. (laughs) What happened? uh, Well, I was quite nervous and uh, I was very tentative with my walking and I made sure that each of my steps was very pronounced and I lifted up my feet uh, much more, I think, than I normally would have uh, because I didn't want to trip or or lose my footing. It was very disorienting because uh, not seeing where you're going, you don't know where you are and I lost my direction and I didn't know if I was going north or south or east or west but uh, I didn't run into any obstacles the dog just took me and uh, it was a very uh, very interesting experience did you feel like you you could really trust the dog well <laughs> I was very nervous and uh, I mm. felt what I what I really felt was that um, I was lost and that I uh, I had to put all my faith in the dog, and that was actually a scary feeling to all of a, you know to go from seeing and knowing exactly where I am to being in a situation where I really was totally lost, and I had to put all my faith in the dog. So that was the first time that was a little bit nerve wracking. I know one of the hard things to teach a seeing eye dog is to look for obstacles overhead. And that's because a dog's only two, three feet tall. And we're six, seven, you know, six feet tall. So a branch going down that would hit a tall man, it would never hit a dog. So it takes a while. And, and I remember doing a show with um, Bill Thornton from BC Guide Dogs before. And he explained to me that what they do is they, they actually, the, the trainer who has sight, wears a blindfold and walks the dog and they actually fall down. They let the obstacle hit them and they fall down over and over until the dog feels so bad for the person that he starts looking up in the air to make sure there's nothing up there. And it just struck me so much how much these dogs care about the person they're taking care of. It's not just that they're doing it for cookies. They really care, don't they? Amazingly so they care. Uh, The relationship is more than just a business relationship. These animals live... 24-7 with their owners and they even sleep in their room. So many families or owners don't let their dogs sleep in their bedroom or near them. Well, these dogs do. Mm -hmm. So the relationship is so profound. Uh, As much as anyone and their family have a relationship with the dog, this is even more so. It reminds me in a little way of back in our own history when none of us had cars and we had to rely on a horse for transportation. If you lived in a remote area and you actually needed that horse, you needed that horse. If you didn't take care of that horse and to really, really take care of that horse, then it wouldn't be able to take you you know, to the hospital when you needed it or to the market or whatever. And it m- reminds me of that kind of codependency where it's more than just an animal or a pet. It's, it's life. I wonder uh, how many people are waiting to get a dog? and can't get one, or how long's the wait for them? Well, right now, for guide dogs, uh, there are over 30 people on our wait list, and that's about a two-year wait. And for autism support dogs, there are 12 or 13 people waiting, and that, too, is about a two-year wait list. So uh, a lot of people are waiting, and uh, we wish we had the resources uh, and the dogs to, to supply everyone, but we don't. Well, what do you need more of? Do you need more money? Do you need more people? What do you need more of? 
well, yes, we need more money. Uh, okay. And we, need, <laughs> we need more trainers, and we need a, a, an infrastructure that will uh, accommodate it. It costs about $35,000 to raise a dog. And uh, we do the simple math. Uh, we raise approximately 20 dogs a year, and um, you know we divide it by our full budget, and that's the cost to train the dog. So it's around 35000 a year, and uh, in order for us to expand our program, we need more trainers, more facilities, and in order to do that, we need to raise more money. So then we need to create more fundraising and development and those kinds of awareness activities so people know who we are and what we do and how profound the work is so that they'll get interested and motivated and they'll support us because we don't charge for the dogs. The dogs uh, are matched with deserving clients and they're basically a gift from our agency to the client. Wow, that's amazing. It, it makes me think of in England where prescription dogs, you can get a prescription dog if you're over 65 in England. You just get a prescription from your doctor and then you're allowed to get a dog. And then the government actually pays for some of its food, its vet bills, all kinds of stuff. Because they figured out that people over 65 who have a little dog use the system far less. That it's actually cheaper for the government to pay for your little dog than it is if you don't have one and you're constantly going in and out of the doctor's office and seeing this and needing that and needing help with this and that. So I wonder, when you talk about $35,000, I wonder, like when I think of someone who can't see or doesn't see well and the difference it makes to their life, okay, we think emotionally the difference, but that's probably the difference between being able to work and not work. It's that, you know, so how much does it save our system really to get that person working? And contributing and, you know, not just in the, the quality of life and the, the feeling type of ideas, but monetarily, I bet you we're saving on each person that gets a dog. Well, you're right. And that's an excellent point because over 65% of blind people are unemployed and uh, there's a huge cost to the economy. Also, people who are blind or visually impaired often uh, are very isolated. They're not mobile. And when you're isolated and stuck in your home and you can't get out, then you get depressed more often. And uh, so then you go to the doctor more often. And they've done studies that show that uh, blind and visually impaired people uh, that are isolated, they end up at uh, retirement homes uh, and assisted living homes three years earlier than people with guide dogs. So the issues that the guide dog resolves the mobility, the independence, uh, the companionship, all these things uh, do have a cost. And it is quantifiable, but I don't know of studies that have actually quantified how much can be saved uh, by having a guide dog. People often uh, fall down more often and break their hips more often uh, than they do when they have a guide dog. So, well, yeah, you can think of so many things, injuries, yeah, illness, yeah, um, yeah. you know, wonder, inability you know, wonder, to get to your appointments, uh, the cost of the other people who are taking off work to get you to where you need exactly. to go because you don't have a dog. I mean, it just, it snowballs from, yeah. you know, if the person doesn't have a dog to help them, they lose their independence, but so does their family, really, because everybody has to come and collect this person. You have to be the dog for this person, really. And and it's just such, I can't imagine having to ask, I mean, even in a small way, as a woman, woman who likes to run. I like to run outside. If I don't have a dog, I have to beg other people 
beg them to come with me, hope they want to go when I want to go, hope they want to run as far and as fast as I do and not further and faster and not shorter and let, you know, have to, everything has to be compromised. Whereas if I, because if I go alone in the woods, I'm asking for trouble, right? I'm not safe. So I need a bunch of women or a man to go with me or a dog. And I've never met a dog who didn't, you know, all, every dog I've ever had, I say, you want to go for a walk? And he says, yes, now is a perfect time. And then we go out to the woods and I set my pace and the dog says, that's my pace too, you know? And it's all very agreeable, <laughs> no compromising. And as far as I want to go, no problem. When I want to stop and do the warm down walk, he's happy to go to the bathroom. Everything's just, you know, perfect. And I'm not imposing. I'm not missing out. I'm not, okay, that's really small scale. That's just my runs in the woods. This is nothing compared to life compared to getting to the store, getting to the doctor, getting to your job, just getting up and out safely and not, you know, the safety issue comes into play too. I'm sure these people feel so much more secure having a pair of eyes watching out for them than being on their own in the world. Definitely. Also, the other part is that uh, when you have a dog, the difference between a cane and a dog is quite profound. Often people have, there are studies that have indicated that people that have canes onlookers view them as distant, whereas when they're walking with dogs, they find that they're more approachable. And the dog creates that extra level of companionship, and it opens up people to a new level of community to all the dog lovers. So again, uh, uh, the isolation is is removed. There's more relationships with people. People more with dogs want to go out and want to socialize more and they get more companionship just by the fact that they now have a dog there. The second part is, is that one thing that I noticed when I was doing my training is that there's a profound difference in the cane and in the dog. In the cane, it's like you're playing pinball. It's like you've got the cane and the cane, the object of the cane is to find an obstacle. It, it hits it and then it tells the, the guide the person, I have to move here or I have to move there. But with the dog, it's a totally different it way. It avoids of, it. Yeah, it, you don't have to bump into everything. Have to, the person doesn't have to think about bumping into anything. It's not, a, it's not a pinball machine. The dog takes you around the obstacle. You don't even know that the obstacles are there. You can focus on the walk, on the air, on the breeze, on maybe listening to the cars or the people that are around you. So it's a totally different experience walking with a dog and with a companion than with that stick that you're constantly, every second, having to be concerned about what you're going to bump into. And then once you hit the obstacle, which way do you now go to get around it? So... uh, well, and you know what? When you said before that the difference is the impression of people with with the cane are viewed as not as social or warm, and that makes me think. Well, of course not. If they're sticking the stick out, you don't want to get hit by the stick. You're trying to stay away from them. I mean, just the just the mechanics of it. Whereas with the dog, they're gently guided through the traffic, the way a motorcycle goes through rush hour traffic, drives us all crazy, and our cars sitting there still. You know, the seeing eye dog just. Shh, Wishes swishes through the people, and this and the person without sight can be almost joss can be almost touching the other people. There's no problem with that. They can be in a crowd as opposed to having this stick constantly separating them with a zone. You know what I mean? Yep. Like it's really definitely, huge definitely. different. Yeah, it's a now, huge uh, difference. I have to tell you a great story. Just last Friday, uh, one of our uh, clients and his dog was uh, who lives downtown was on Davy and Butte Street 
in Vancouver. Okay. And, uh, that's really, really uh, urban for people listening. That's like really yeah. urban. You know, high rises and buildings yeah. and construction going on all the time and taxis and traffic and yeah. shoppers and tourists and really downtown. Okay. Yeah. And at this light intersection with the light, there was no audible signal that told the guide dog user went to cross. So mm-hmm. there was a lady standing next to him and she said to him, the light's green, you can go. So he gave his dog the command uh, to cross. And um, the dog stood up and was about to cross, but the dog didn't cross. And the man gave the command a second time to cross, but the dog would not cross. The lady crossed the road, and sure enough, a cyclist oh, no. who, had, I, who was listening to iTunes went zipping through the light and ran over the lady. <gasps> she, she ended up breaking her arm, and he oh. fell off the bike and landed into a car. They had to call an ambulance. And the man and his dog were standing at the curb while all this was whizzing by. Well, yeah, you uh, see, dogs pick up on stuff. Dogs know what's going to happen. He probably heard the bike going too fast a couple blocks away. I mean, I don't want to don't want to rain on the ESP parade, but dogs can hear really well. So he probably heard the bike going too fast and maybe maybe other people honking at the bike and was picking up on the fact that there was a danger coming. Maybe not. Maybe he just knew something was going to well, happen. Thought, but either way, I've he thought. heard it and thought because uh, yeah. that dog saved this guy not from death, but he saved him from getting banged up. <laughs> and uh, You never know, though. You don't know where he would have been in that intersection when the car and the bike collided, if right. he saved him from death. I mean, it's possible. Right. That's a huge... There's so many distractions at that intersection. And so it's just, what, four, eight lanes of traffic? I mean, it's kind of like a... It's, I don't know. That's a lot of traffic. So when you talked about seniors' homes, it made me wonder, when you said they get people with a dog get admitted years later than people without, when they do go, can they take their dog? Well... Definitely, they can take their dog. Oh, dogs good. have the right of access uh, okay. in all in all places, so you can't deny uh, a person a dog when they have. Well, you know, there was a case in California a few months ago that people are really fighting where a homeless woman tried to get into a homeless shelter and she's an epileptic with severe seizures and she has a fully trained registered seizure dog, you know, service dog, yes. and they wouldn't let her in with it. And so she was refusing to go to the shelter because she was saying, you know, I can't, I can't function without him. You're not going to help me. You're not going to help me when I have a seizure. And you're not going to do what I need doing. And, and even if you did, then when, when my time is up here and I have to go out in the street again, then what do I do? I can't afford another dog. And it was a really huge issue. So it, I'm so glad to, say, to hear that they can bring their dogs with them. Is there anything else you want us to know about seeing eye dogs and about BC Guide Dogs for the Blind? Is there anything important for our audience? The only thing I would say is that... Uh One of the things that, for me, is so interesting about working here is that the dog has such a profound effect on the individual who is blind or on the the family and the child with autism. And that's what's so amazing. It's kind of like giving someone a job. It's not like throwing someone a bone or giving them a tiny bit of food. You know, it's a really life-altering thing. And so next time people... uh, see a dog, they should uh, think about how profoundly it changes the person's life, and uh, they should also maybe take a moment to think about the kind of training and that this uh, dog has had that they can perform and that they could uh, have that relationship with the person. When you talk about, okay, so the next time we see a dog, and maybe part of the reason, and I, I, know, I know there's a lot of people who are blind or have trouble seeing, who want to interact with people when they're out and about, and they feel like they, they can't. 
But some of us don't want to mess up the training. We don't want to mess with the dog. We know the dog's working and we know we're not supposed to touch it or talk to it. Okay, so if we see, say we're at the park somewhere and we're with our kids and we see someone sitting on a bench with one of these dogs and we want to teach our kids about it, we want to say hi, what's the right way? Well, the first thing is to ask whoever the owner is whether it's okay to pet the dog or 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 talk to them. They could be in training or they could be working or they could just be um, at leisure enjoying a walk or enjoying their time at the park. So the first thing is to ask them for, for permission. Uh, some trainers, when they're working, they prefer people not to be interrupting them because it ruins the dog's concentration. And some people are prepared to take a few minutes off uh, to allow them to, uh, you know, pet the, their pets and learn a little bit more about it. So it's really an individual basis. So always ask. Just introduce yourself and ask. Yes. And then if they say, sure, you can pet my dog, what, what should people do? Do they? Pet the dog. Same as usual? <laughs> like, no, is it the same as usual, though, where you give your hand face down? Or is it really, these dogs are so well-trained, if he says yes, just go for it. I mean, what, <laughs> what's the right way to pet it? I would, say just, I would say just go for it. <laughs> okay. If they say yes, just go for it. Hugs and kisses are fine. All right. <laughs> so they're, they're reliable, is what you're telling me. Yes. Now, when, um, when people are listening, and I know you, you talked about money and 35000 to raise one, and the, the dog is free to the sight-impaired person, uh, but if someone's listening and they don't have money, and maybe they can't take on a two-year commitment of going every couple of weeks for training and having a dog with them 24-7, what else could they do that would help? Is there, are there other ways to help? Definitely. That's a great question. We have a program called Sp- Puppy Sponsorship. And what that is is we create a relationship between the donor and uh, the dog so that uh, the donors, by um, making a donation, they can get information, a picture of the puppy uh, at birth and at seven weeks old and at three months old. And throughout the process of puppy training, they'll get letters throughout the process from the puppy saying what they're doing and how they're doing and, uh, and how they're enjoying life and updates all the way until graduation and until that they're matched with their eventual client, whether it's someone who's blind or a family uh, with autism. So that's a really neat way to get a bit of insight into what goes on, and it's a really fun way to learn about the process, and the commitment is much, much smaller. So bcguidedog.com, bcguidedog.com. And if you're in a different area and you're still interested in all of this, you could go there and there'll be links to the international organization that they, they get their training from and all the different groups that so you could find one in your area. I want to ask you, though, we, we mentioned autism. We talked about how well, some I, of the dogs... Uh, Deb, I want to Sorry. tell you that uh, we yeah. do all of the breeding and training and everything in-house. So just so you know... The, the, oh, nice. Uh, yeah, all of it's done in-house. And uh, we don't get the training from anywhere in Europe or Eastern Canada. We do it all here. So we're very local, a uh, BC and Alberta-based organization, and uh, and we're in control of everything here. Okay. So when we talk about autism support dogs, 
Like we can all visualize what goes on with seeing eye dogs, that the blind person would fall down or walk into traffic or, you know, get lost. And so the dog stops when they're supposed to stop and moves when they're supposed to move and uses its body to show them where they're going to go. And they have these signals that the person learns to interpret so they can understand what the dog's trying to tell them when he's pulling them a certain way or sitting down or standing up at a certain time. But autism dogs, it's hard for most of us to understand what a dog would actually do. If you've got a kid who's maybe socially withdrawn, a typical autism kid, what what does the dog do for that child? Okay, so that's the autism dogs are just amazing animals because the first thing is is that autism is a huge public health issue, uh, and you know it's a neurological disorder affecting children, and it manifests itself uh, most strikingly um, with the inability for children to create meaningful social relationships and to communicate. And so the first thing is that the the children um, don't communicate well. And often they don't even communicate well with their parents or their siblings. But with the dog, there's some bond. It's that man's best friend they're so willing to have a relationship with the animal. So, and that really helps with the social bonding. The second area with the children, which is probably the most important, is that the children take in a lot of sensory data, but they don't process it the same way that we do. And because of that, at a very young age, they can be a flight risk. They can be at home, and they might just, at the age of three, open up the door and walk out of the house. Okay. Uh, or they could, so what does or they the dog get, do? Does the dog or stop they could be them? At a mall. Mm-hmm. Well, yes. Or they could be at a mall with their mom, and all of a sudden they walk away or they'll run away. So because of the relationship, that, and they won't allow their parents to hold their hand or to control them. They might have a meltdown because they don't want to be constrained, and they don't understand why they have to be. But when the relationship with the dog is formed, they believe that they're in control of the dog. They're prepared to be tethered to the dog. They're prepared to be in charge wow. of the dog, you see? And so in the mall, if they're tethered to the dog, the dogs are bred to be heavier than some of the dogs, so they're, they weigh 70 to 85 pounds. A mm-hmm. three-, four-year-old, seven-year-old is not dragging <laughs> this dog anywhere. No, no, no. But the mom or the dad, the dog will will listen to the parent's command over the child's command. So, okay. So the dog, they can control the child by controlling the dog. And That's amazing. Okay, so, the tri- so how do you get the dog to be interested in this kid when there's probably other kids in the family who don't have autism who are maybe more compelling to a dog? Well, the dogs... That's part of the training. They get up to a week of training with the family and with the initial kid. And this dog will sleep in this child's room uh, and bond with that child. And even if the other children are more fun to be with, the dog understands that their main charge is this one child. And uh, one of our teams that we placed, the child had difficulty sleeping at night. And within the first night or two, that dog was on the bed. The kid was sleeping through the night. It's just they feel calm and 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 they understand that that bond and that compassion. For example, a child might be having a temper tantrum, and uh, and the dog is trained to come up and just put his head on the lap, and that could be enough just for the child to stop. But if the parent were to approach them, touch, yeah, it could make it worse. Uh, The children 
often have nervous tics or they you know will scratch themselves or have nervous self gratification and mm-hmm. uh, and the dogs are trained to come up to them when they see this and just with their nose just gently tap them and that could be enough just to for them to redirect their focus and they stop doing those kinds of behaviors so these dogs is that like rocking the same with the rocking would they stop the rocking, the rocking. Yeah. amazing are the dogs so, allowed in the school with the kid during school class yes, time they are oh yes, they are. nice yeah. how hard was that to make happen because this is all uh, recent, right? There weren't any autism support dogs 10 years ago. How did you make that happen? Just well, got a I've little... I've been around the, for a few months, so I don't know the answer to that. <laughs> I bet they just got a little addition to the statute for seeing eye dogs and just included Probably. them as service dogs. That's amazing, yes. though. That's yes. really good news. Yes. Wow. I wonder how many, how many autism support dogs have you got in your program right now? Well, we've graduated 10, and, mm. uh, so, and we've got a couple more in the, in the works right now. One of the other amazing things about the, about the autism support dogs is that because these children have great difficulty communicating and socializing, and even in school, they don't have that many friends, they bring in a dog, mm-hmm. all of a sudden they get more friends. Or they're in the mall and they're so proud of their, of their pet, someone might come up and say, oh, what's the name of your dog? Well, all of a sudden this child is saying, oh, my dog's name is Freddie. And it creates a bit of this relationship it creates communication and so we're finding that the children are growing significantly because there are more opportunities for relationships when i worked with horses i once saw i wasn't taking part in this but i once saw a session going on with an autistic child and a couple of care workers and a giant very very large workhorse and the child was being rewarded with the perk of being allowed to groom the horse. The kid really wanted to brush the horse. That's what the kid wanted. And he was only allowed to brush the horse when he did what the care workers wanted him to do. There were things like look at them and talk to them and just very basic things that the kid was struggling with learning, you know. And I, th- I wondered, is, is that part of this? Did, does the child have to do, like, earn the right to, in the training that goes on, or is that not part of this? Well, that's not part of the training, but each family has their own special requirements of their children, and each child is at a different level of autism, so uh, each family has to decide for themselves. Some families have the children feed their dog and groom the dog, and uh, they all have different relationships and and, uh, requirements, but the common pattern seems to be that... uh, that uh, the children enjoy the relationship with the dog and taking care of the dog. It's their, it's, you know, it turns out it's their best friend. Does it ever happen that you get a child who's so severe that it's a little bit dangerous for the dog or aggressive with the dog? And if so, what do you do? Is that child just not suitable or is there ways, do you work on that? Is that part of the training? Well, that would be part of the training and it's possible. We monitor the situation and if it's not working out, then we it's possible for us to take a dog away. We haven't ever had to do that. We do have one child who's about nine years old now, and uh, her level of cognition is approximately that of a Uh, two-year-old. And that dog is her best friend, but there's no um, aggression or negative behavior Mm. towards the dog. For some reason, that just doesn't seem to happen. Well, that's but great. We don't have that much, but we, again, we've only graduated 10 teams, and uh, it's all a learning process for us as well. So, so far, so good. 
what age are the children? Are they all over? Are they like three to fifteen, or is there a, a start? Well, Do they have to be a certain to age? We we start three them to at ten. About okay. Three to ten, and remember, if someone's eight or nine and they get a dog, they'll have the dog till they're about fifteen or eighteen anyway. So. Well, yeah, I was just wondering how the, because the children are going to change a lot when they go through adolescence and puberty, and there's going to be all different issues, and I wonder how the right. dog is going to have to be retrained. This may be more work than you all bargained for. <laughs> there's going to be new tricks the dog needs to know, right? Definitely. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. That yeah, might be, be the next phase. Like how to keep kids away from alcohol? Hey, maybe we all want an assistance dog for our teens. <laughs> I don't know. Well, okay. I see we're coming to the party. They're starting to flicker the lights, and uh, it's going to be last call. So is there anything you'd like to leave the audience with? I know that they can find out more at bcguidedog.com, bcguidedog.com. Anything else you want to tell them just before we wrap up? How about if I read a very short testimonial? Oh, absolutely. That'd be a great way to end the show. Then we'll say goodbye. Great. Thank you so much. Our family has grown leaps and bounds since the introduction of our golden boy, Forrest, in 2008. Whether he's working in his jacket or is just being a dog, Forrest amazes us all. Three years ago, I would never have imagined myself walking down the main concourse of Pacific Coliseum between periods of a Giants game. My son, Max, who's limited verbally and will bolt through three aisles in any supermarket to an exit, could barely handle a gym assembly, never mind a SkyTrain ride or hockey game. Now he walks down the crowded middle, head up, and smiles ear to ear. And that's a testimonial from uh, Max's mom. Oh, nice, nice. A happy mom. Yeah, happy mom. And the kids, uh, you know, can go to a hockey game. He can go in public and, you know, have, you know, live his life to the best of his ability. And that's our goal, and that's what we're, you know, that's what we try to achieve. So we're... His his world got broader. His experiences get bigger. The more he does, the more he can do. His whole world gets bigger. The same with the people who can't see and get guided by a dog. I mean, it's expansive, isn't it? The effect is like dropping a pebble into a river and it just, the ripples go, 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 go. You know, it's just so incredible what these dogs do. That dog's earning its kibble for sure. (laughs) Definitely. Well, I guess I better go earn my kibble and let you go earn your kibble. So it's been great having you at the party. Thanks so much for coming, Barry. And thank you so much for having me on your show. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. It's nice to talk with you and hear about all the good work you're doing. All right, everybody. So check out bcguidedog.com. And the party's over. I'm sad to say come back to the next animal party in a couple of weeks and be good to your animals. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.